Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Out of the Question podcast. Having just gone through a still highly contested election cycle, many believers are scratching their heads trying to determine why the biblical perspective in government seems to not resonate with the population in general. While there are numerous answers to this question, I often hear people say, we just need more Christians in politics. Is that what we need, more Christian politicians? Today I have with me Ernie Yarbrough, son of Tim Yarbrough, who has been a guest on this podcast numerous times. Ernie is newly elected to the Alabama legislature, House District Number 7, and he ran on the platform Make Alabama Local Again. So I went to his website, and this is what he had to say for himself. All my life, I have loved Alabama deeply. These past few years have been very hard for all of us, but while the hardships have brought many losses and tears, they have also brought great clarity, purpose, and passion as we wrestle with this fundamental question. Who is the most responsible and qualified to make decisions for Alabamians? It is this question that has put a fire in my heart to no longer resign the leadership of our state to career politicians, yes-men, or fair-weather self-promoters. It is time for leaders to arise from the common people and take a stand for solutions that return the power, resources, and responsibility for our lives back to us. Not Montgomery, which happens to be Alabama's capital, or Washington, D.C. Ernie, thanks for joining me today, and congratulations. Thank you so much. I am honored to be here, and um, I love the topic of this this chat. I think it's super vital and important as we um, wrestle with this this reality and the need that it seems like to me in my reading, there's been this awakening of this idea is uh, Christians have been involved in education, you know, but there's a mission to the magistrate, and so I think it's a great topic to explore. So I posed the question: Do we need more Christian politicians? And it seems from your perspective, the answer is no. We need Christian statesmen and godly leaders. Explain what you mean. The idea there is, you know, when, when the typical American, you know, makes thinks of a lawyer or a politician, that's where all those jokes come from, right? But behind the jokes is this perception that is largely rooted in reality, that politicians and lawyers are people who are self-promoters, whose only concern is the highest dollar and whose first concern is not motivation, mo- being motivated by principle, right? And so they're, they're making money off of people. They're not supplying really essential goods and services so often, but they're just living off of the work or the problems of other people. And so in contrast to that, a statesman is someone who understands uh, under the authoritative jurisdiction of Almighty God, understands in the context, especially of American history and American politics, states' rights and the idea of delegated, limited government, which will be behind that is, is the idea of delegated, limited government for all of life. Uh, when I was a child, I was really blessed. My dad gave me the God in Government series, and that was my first introduction to this idea of the spheres of government, so the sphere of self-government and family government, and church government and civil government, and and how you identify each of those spheres by themselves, and then where they do overlap, kind of like kind of like a Venn diagram. You know, where where can elders? What where do elders speak into the lives of the church people, and where is the the family responsible for this as, as opposed to the church? And how does the state work? And where does but God is over all of it, right? And so. Um, to me, a statesman understands, right? And I said this, I, I knocked just in the primary, I, I beat the incumbent just in the primary from February 1st to May 24th. I knocked about 6,000 doors, seven to 8,000 doors total between primary and general. And, you know, I, I, I gave the example that 
you know, you ask the people of my district, well, where does all authority come from? And they, and they would all say, well, it comes from God. And so then I would say, well, if that's true, and I, and I agree with that, uh, any authority that you or I have is less than what God has. And they would say, well, of course. So I said, so therefore it's, it's got boundaries. Or as we say in the South, right? Good fences make good neighbors. Yes. And so the statesman understands that there are God ordained limits and fences and that it is righteous to enforce those limits. It is a good and godly and an essential component of a free nation to enforce the boundaries that are placed upon these spheres of government by God, by the inherent nature of the fact that they have less authority than God and by their, their covenanted constitutional oaths of office that they swore. So let me stop you for a second and say, okay, that's Alabama. I live in California, Silicon Valley to be precise. And I'm not sure if, if people went door to door and asked that same question about authority, that the answer would be the same as you said in your district. So do you think the overriding reason why during elections, Christians think that all we have to do is have somebody who says they believe in God, there's much more to leadership. And certainly you don't get elected to figure out what to do. You already know what to do. And by God's grace, you get elected, right? Right. Well, so the challenge there, you know, there in conversations with, with, with the people of my district, you know, there is across the country, there is this general sense of the idea that something is seriously wrong with our country. And when you've got schools allowing kids to identify as furries or animals and they put out litter boxes for them, even in my own state, right? The, the, the vast majority of the people in my state, and I would say even across the country, so many of the people who have, as my father-in-law says, one eye and half sense, understand that something is wrong with that. Something is desperately wrong with that. But from the, from the, from the Christian or church perspective, it's very helpful to be self-aware of where we are in history, right? And so the past hundred years, what has been the theological paradigm that has dominated the thought process of the church, what's well, been dispensationalism. And so the idea there, of course, of dispensational rapture, we're getting out of here theology. Well, it's collapsing and it's, it's been, a, it's showing itself for what it is, a terrible disservice as well as unbiblical to the church. And so the reality is, is that there is no replacement for a covenantal biblical thinking about the sovereignty of God and the word of God over every area of life. And so, for me as a statesman, for me as someone involved in the politics, I have found great success in the fact that back in the 80s when I was homeschooled, people thought you were crazy, right? You got, you got three, you know, third eyeball on your forehead or whatever. People <laughs> no longer, by and large, no, no longer think that. Everywhere I go, even in Alabama back in the 80s, we had friends put in jail in Decatur, Alabama for homeschooling. That's not the process anymore. People no longer think you're crazy. They think you're probably a genius, right? So – I use that to my advantage to say, you know what, maybe there are, let's go behind the surface and let's say, what are the basic foundational presuppositions? What are our basic thought processes about these things? So it's time to return to building foundations and people have responded very well to that. And so a classic example of what I do uh, and to an answering your question in the context of uh, I'm pointing people back towards, look, let's get past the the outer fluff and let's get back to the root principles of what it is we're supposed to believe so that we know what our foundation is and let's start to build according to the foundation. So for example, I ask people, a lot of people here locally in my, in, in the, the Lawrence County is the major County is the meat of my district, though my district encompasses parts of three counties. I say, you know, we're, we're a farming community. So I ask them, what is it? Why do we send our kids to school? Is it for glorified daycare? Is it like, why? Why are we doing this? All you people go to church. You're concerned about your kids and they go to public school. Why? What is education? And before they, they said, well, uh, you know, I said, let me give you my answer using a farming example. Education. And I, I've taught pre, I've taught pre-K through fourth in a Christian private school. I've taught homeschool high school classes and I ran a public college 
a community college math lab and taught college level math for two years. So I've taught in all three sectors. I said, education at its root has nothing to do with money or legislation. And they're, and they've been like, yeah, I see that now. I said, education is the turning over of the soil of the hearts and minds of our children to plant three seeds, faith, virtue, and knowledge. And if we don't sit down and address that type of fundamental thinking across these different areas of life, you're going to see the acceleration of more of this insanity until these institutions crumble under the weight of their own absurdity and unbelief. And never before in my life am I having so many people in my own county and district say, you know what, man, that's exactly right. So I think that in part, what helps us, number one, is the absurdity of unbelief getting more consistent with its presuppositions. And number two, we have to be able to frame biblical solutions in a practical way where people see the fruit of it and we can walk them, not in revolution, as George Grant says. We don't need revolution. We need reformation, That which means we got to make the first step. We got to set the principles, turn our face in that direction and then lay out reachable, accomplishable stepping stones to get to where we need to be. So I'm reminded of the passage in Proverbs that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And that's not just a biblical way to train them up. If you train children up in such a way that, that they think there's no absolutes, that they think there's no creator who has claims on their lives, they're going to live that out. I agree with you with the insanity of humanism manifesting itself now very clearly. We do have a more receptive audience. But before I go into how you plan to exercise the leadership in your new position, tell me a little bit about your thoughts growing up as you're being trained in homeschool, as your father is discipling you and other young men to the responsibility of leadership rather than the glory of leadership. So my parents were amazing. You know, they were obviously not perfect. They're sinners and in need of the grace of God. But looking back, I, I greatly appreciate my parents more now than I ever have. Yeah, there's a quote by Umberto Eco that said, you know, my father taught me more, or he has, I'm kind of having to paraphrase here, but he especially taught me not in the moments when he was trying to teach me, but in those moments when he passed down scraps of wisdom when he wasn't trying to teach me something. In other words, when the child was just observing the parent do life. So my mom, prayer warrior, woman of faith, homeschool the kids. My dad was a serial entrepreneur worked incredibly long hours, super hard. So there was this persona growing up in my heart and life that the example of my parents was something that shaped my aspirations and my dreams for work, entrepreneurial. Uh, When I was 10 years old, my first job was working with my dad in the summer times doing 12-hour night shifts uh, with his business. And so that there was certainly the daily devotional and instruction from the word of God and training and, and, and biblical precepts and concepts and, and church and, and, and homeschool classes and books. As I mentioned before, God and government, those things. But it was also the example of my parents who were never people who sought the limelight, but they earned the limelight. So wherever they went, they had respective people and oftentimes a podium or a platform from which to speak, you know, whether it was official in the context of a conference or whatever, but people valued the opinion of my parents because they saw God's glory and God's character through the example and the commitments and the sacrifice of my parents. And so that was very much a powerful impression upon me as a child that to, to fall in love with doing, to fall in love with being, it was never a a thing of position from my parents. It was always a passionate love of doing the will of God. And, and so that had a profound impression upon me. Um, however, I went through a season of rebellion as a young person and I, I wasn't saved until I was almost 17. So there was still the reality that I had to deal with the fact that I was a sinner and my rebellious heart, you know, it's not just he- head knowledge apart from 
the work of the Holy Spirit can make you even more of a Pharisee. So the Lord had to break that and expose my sin to me and humble me and cause me to realize that the doctrines of grace were true about me and my sin and my need of a savior. And so that was certainly a key component was the transferring of knowledge from the head to the heart as well. Yes. Uh, but my parents always, always modeled that. It wasn't about position. It was about doing the will of God and looking for God to take the fishes and the loaves of our lives and to feed millions. So I'm sure that's going to be an encouragement for a lot of homeschooling parents who listen, because often it's easy to say, have we done anything of significance? We, we put a lot of effort into homeschooling, but as you point out, God has to be the one that changes an individual. But it sounds like once that occurred, all that went before it then could grow in such a way that now you probably said to yourself, oh, this is what they were talking about. <laughs> yes. And in fact, I went from having a head knowledge to my my uh, a voracious desire and hunger and thirsting to read books was just magnified tenfold because now I had the tears of repentance and of praise to God for saving my unworthy, wretched soul to go along with the head knowledge. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, if you read modern church uh, church history books versus reading the old J.A. Wiley or Daubigny, it's like you got dry sand or you got men who were academic masters, but they were writing it with their souls on fire. And so when you read or when you when you enter into that learning experience of knowledge and like you said, the aha moments, oh, I see this, I get it, the connections, I understand now. When that happens with the heart on fire, with love and praise to the Lord, it makes all the difference in the world. And then I got exposed to George Grant. I uh, went to a Christian student worldview conference in Newport News, Virginia as a high schooler. That that started to this day a lifelong friendship with him. We are very involved. I do some stuff for his his resources and business. Yes, that that was that was like an aha moment where instead of stumbling around in the dark with you know trying to coordinate some as it were braille <laughs> blind, uh, it was at last uh, that those you know, like the I mean the Pharisees. I mean that's why I laugh. Jesus says, "Have you not read?" You know. Well, yeah, their whole life was to read the Old Testament. But the reality is, is that they sat in darkness. Yes. And so when the Bible says that those who sat in darkness have seen a great light, that's the light of the gospel. And so when that happens, there is such a glory and a beauty and a connecting of the dots that occurs. That is just all you can do is throw up your hands and worship. So when you were younger, I imagine you didn't hear your dad say, Ernie, when you're older, I want you to run for office or maybe you had like in your wildest dreams that would happen. Um, am I right on that? That this was not something that you were told That's at right. a very young age. Okay. So That's right. with all you know about yourself now with relationship to God, what you know about the application of the covenant of our country and each individual state, what we stand for, do you have any illusion, or I should say delusion, that this role you now have will be easy? No, I don't. But at the same time, I have I have a different and I, I think a more encouraging perspective in this sense than my predecessors for so long. So, so it will not be easy, but the greater the greatest challenge won't be Montgomery. Right? The greatest challenge will be how do I love my people like crazy so much by my example and sacrifice, giving them my time, resources and all those things that we can together turn our faces towards reformation not revolution and nor, nor also despair and unbelief you know and so my focus there is going to be uh, like i said my predecessors the essence of a state representative so often has been hands out to montgomery hands out to dc the essence of leadership is how much government bacon can i bring home well number one that that creates more of the same problem of financial slaves number two it doesn't inspire people. And so many people, even locally, I've brought that up. They, and they agree with me. You know, the issue isn't, we, we want leadership. We want somebody to say, hey, I have an idea. I have a, let's chase, let's pursue, let's work. And so it will not be easy. But 
with the meat of my focus being in my district and not in the state capitol, I'm excited to shoulder the yoke with the people of my district and get to work because what I'm finding is at least on the on the on the grassroots level, people are responding to uh, we've already we are we did a lot of stuff jumping in serving before the general election was even final. And and they were amazed by it. Stuff that some things they said they asked the previous guy for four years, too busy, too busy, you know, too busy in Montgomery, not busy here. So I think we have a unique opportunity through the enunciation of conservative Bible-based principles. I pray with my people. I openly bring my faith. This morning had a meeting with industrial development. We pray together, uh, and and they're and we talk about going to church and Jesus. They they're, they're hungry. For leadership like that, but then That's the we soil jump- father has cultivated for decades. In other words, he wasn't so interested in what people could do for him; he was interested right. in what he could do for them. That's right, and and that focus on the soil and, and the foundations and the roots, and when you water and you nourish those, you know, man, the tree can grow and the fruit on um, can abound and the leaves are green. You know, in all the various outreaches of wherever the branches may happen to go. And so people are responding to that. They've not had a state rep who walks into the room and says, have a meeting and say, hey, as, as we leave here, let's pray together. Let's ask God to bless our work. And they're like, uh, yes, please. That's great. You know, and, and, and but then at the, again, at the same time, classic example, we have 10 fire departments in our in our in Lawrence County, which is the meat of my district. And nine of them are volunteer. Well, they struggle with raising funds. Right? They've asked and asked and asked for help. So I said, hey, I've got an idea. I'm a software developer. Let's make an app that on the main page has all these videos and drone footage and interviews about all of the fire departments. Let's have the app where we can go in there. And you can set your, your, your particular volunteer fire department, get a dedicated news feed to all the things that they're doing, the calls that they're answering, the ways that they're serving, and We'll have a fourth page for support where with one click of a button, you can get a link to give five, seven or ten dollars a month to your local volunteer fire department. So as you can imagine, we had we had all of that out there before the general election. I hadn't even won pouring service, pouring in service. And, and they responded. I had fire chiefs telling me, Ernie, we've never put signs in our yards for for a state rep because we try not to get political, but we want your signs. Yeah. So one of the things I've noticed, and uh, again, it's local to me, that people run and then they don't win and then they give up. Either they move out or they, because really this, whatever office they were going for was much more of a stepping stone. But your Mm -hmm. promotion or your platform was keeping Alabama local. So it's not that, oh, gee, now I have this position Someday I could be the senator of the state or I could be president. You have an emphasis on helping people locally. Yes, that's correct. And the reason why I chose that, I'm actually working on a book right now that I hope will be ready close to the end of the year, similar to that title. But the reason why I chose that was because I believe that God puts the priority and emphasis on self-government. And the reality is, is that when you have a rich, mature, robust expression of that in our own lives and then in our families and communities and business and education locally, people get fired up because they feel like that there's that's things that they can affect, things that they can touch, things that they can impact. Right. When you have a top down focus, people feel powerless. They feel like, well, I can't make a difference if, if the focus is all, you know, let's bow down and kiss Montgomery or bow down and kiss D.C., well, you know, what about what about us here? What can we so you know, let's invert that pyramid on its head, right? The Egyptians built pyramids in part because they wanted to reinforce, hey, goes to one point at the top. Pharaoh's God, that's where your focus should be. No, invert the pyramid so that the further you go up, it gets wider, not narrower, more people involved, more people involved, right? So we want to bring back the fact and the idea, and I said this in my campaign. Look, make Alabama local again. Our local rights, our local freedoms must be preserved, but also our local initiative, our local resources, our local work ought to be the point, the tip of the spear to meeting the problems that we face, which means 
y'all got to get in, hop in here with me. Let's go. Let's go. You know, because, because that also will solve other problems like kids stuck on iPads and iPhones. Yeah, it's one thing to complain about, oh, kids are just these days. Well, you know what? Well, did their parents say, get in here and get to work? Let's go. Are we providing options? Are we providing opportunities for our young people to, to find out how awesome it is to not be on a device? Right. So we did it, for example, a fall, a fall fire festival. Again, before the general election, we paid to have a country music singer come down and we brought back all the old games. Egg toss, three-legged race, gunny sack race. I got in a Duncan booth, got dunked in water. Fire chief did, other, other guys did. 200 barbecue chicken plates. All this touch of truck, face painting. These kids had a blast. I, I was out there in the gunny sack race, right? The, the firefighters did their turnout gear contest who can get into their firefighter gear the fastest. You didn't see any kids on iPhones and iPads. Yeah. They were having the time of their life because because adults have to lead. We have to take local initiative to provide local solutions and show these young people how wonderful and awesome it is to have a covenant community where our focus is on tangible people and being together. Now, I'm a software developer, so obviously tech has its place, but only as it's a tool to create community. So we can't just be complaining about that local focus. Is what empowers us to take back our communities and to say, you know what? We're going to see what control we have over the curriculum choices of our schools. We're going to see what power we can have over our supplying the needs to our police department and our volunteer fire department. You name it, serving the elderly. We're going to make a model that the rest of the country can, can copy. And so that's my goal for my district is we're going to make a model that's a blueprint that the rest of our nation can copy. I like that because everybody wants answers and there are people who will proffer answers, but if they haven't been tested, if you haven't said, well, that works or that doesn't work, or we need to mm -hmm. refine this some, but it sounds to me from what you're saying is that you're creating a framework for your constituents to appreciate Liberty. You're not just telling them what they want to hear. You're not tickling their ears you're basically showing that we can do things a variety of ways. These ways will be fast, but won't be lasting, or these ways will be building a strong foundation. Is right. that your orientation, that your district is sort of a mission field to help them understand the principles of liberty? Yes, absolutely. I had this conversation with a lady this morning at the Industrial Development Board, and I said, you know, I said this very thing to her, and she's laughing. She agreed, you know. I said, we need to challenge our people to come up with a 50-year plan, not a next election cycle, next paycheck, next month plan. Because when we when we shift our focus to a 50-year plan, and then we step back and we say, okay, we have time to breathe. We have time, we have we have time to look at what is our foundation? What do we believe? What do we know to be true and right and good? And have we taken the time? to give thought to how we are building, are we building in a manner consistent with our foundations or are we building a house that doesn't match the foundation? Do we understand what our foundation is? Do I have we, are, you know, so you, you create, you got to create the mental, intellectual, spiritual, academic space to take a breath and say, all right, we can see that there's a lot of things going on around us that we're very concerned about. Rural country area here, you know, farming, God, faith, and football, right? Let's take a <laughs> breath and analyze and say, let's just step back. Let's identify. You know, in theology, we say indicative and imperative. The imperative, the command, what you do, how you behave, flows from the indicative, the state of being, who you are. Let's identify who we are, who we ought to be, and let's start to craft solutions and let's show let's get the young people and the local people involved to show them the magic as it were the fun the worship of crafting solutions it's a great book I, I i love it's called called to create how you know god's calling isn't just to the mission field or preaching or whatever it's to entrepreneurs and people who have ideas who create
as sub-creators. Let's call them to that magic, that wonderful worship-like experience of having ideas, crafting solutions, testing, repeating, walking it out to a final product. And then they will be thrilled. They'll take ownership and they'll be like, are you kidding me? I don't want to resign this to Montgomery or D.C. This is too, this is too wonderful. I want to do this. And so nobody has been calling people to that. We've started doing that. And the response has been, has been honestly, has been electric. So you mentioned that one of the things you plan to do and think is important is to build coalitions. Now, I imagine that not only are there people in Alabama who don't necessarily resonate with a biblical world and life view, there are a lot of people who are leaving California and heading east, and they end up coming to various states in the south because they like the south. But then, of course, they can basically bring with them their baggage. So how do you build coalitions with people who don't think like you think? Well... Number one, you have to go where the people are. So Thomas Chalmers, the old Scottish pastor, had a famous saying, you show me a people-going pastor, and I will show you a church-going people. So you have to go where they are. Number two, even though they're moving here, there's been just there's been as much of a lack of principled thinking here as other places. So... We as Christians, we, we have the ability and the blessing to take wise biblical solutions, implement them, discuss them, paint the picture, as it were, in the midst of ruins. Because, for example, Cal- a lot of people don't, don't know this, but years ago, I remember a study came out. California had more voting Republicans than any other state in the union. They just were out swamped and probably out corrupted by so many big cities. So... As I knocked doors, I came across a lot of people who had moved here from other states. And what I found was when I expressed this idea of conservative principles, make Alabama local again, local initiative, local responsibility, local freedoms, local, they said, yes, that's why I moved here. So I believe God uses difficulty as a chastening rod. And America is a nation under the chastening hand of God. But in that chastening, there's always repentance is that brilliant spotlight of opportunity. And so my prayer is that God will take the platform and the message that we have and that he will use it to, I think who was it, uh, C.S. Lewis or G.K. Chesterton said that Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been, it has been found difficult and therefore left untried. There is a difficulty to personal responsibility. But the thing is, we're seeing these social institutions collapse before our very eyes. We have no other options left. And that's a great place to say, hey, guys, not only do we not have any other option, it's actually the best option. And let me show you how and why. So the field is white to the harvest. If we will have men and women of faith and action who will jump into places of public service and say, hey, y'all, follow me. I'm going to show you how through local initiative and ideas, hard work and painting this picture of a romantic view of crafting solutions and walking them out that you too can have a meaningful part in your community. And there certainly is an element of faith. Obviously we trust God. Lord, please, please bless our efforts. Lord, please don't let us work in vain. You know, Lord, please go before us. Please go behind us. One of the things that I feel like is often lacking in reformed has been lacking in the church world in general and even in reformed ish communities is the the corporate place of church prayer has gone by the wayside and a lack of prayer in general and so there's a great quote by em bounds a famous guy in church history for prayer he said no learn no learning can make up for the failure to pray no earnestness no diligence no study no gifts will supply its lack And so obviously we need earnestness, we need diligence, we need study, we need gifts, but we need to fall upon our faces before Almighty God and beseech the blessing of heaven. Um, So one of the things I intend to do as a state rep is I'm going to call for a day of fasting and prayer for our schools and for our communities. So I intend to be very visible and uh, probably call for a a time of prayer 
at the county courthouse. And also that will be used with a microphone to discuss Bible-based conservative solutions to the problems that we face. So, okay, you've won. And I imagine the enemies of you personally and what you stand for are busy saying, well, this will be a short stint for this guy. We've got to maintain our hold on the state house and, you know, whatever we, whatever perks we get from the feds. So it sounds to me like you're not really worried about them because you honestly believe that if you follow God's leading, that he will provide the increase and that it won't just be up to you to stop the enemies of you and of God, that you will have others who have been ignited into understanding what their responsibility is for their own local government. That's right. Yes, ma'am. And in fact, if I win, if I win over the hearts of the people that I, that I represent by a, a hopefully a, a gospel, tremendous example of love and service and re- replenishing the monetary funds in conservative ways, for example, seeing other uh, businesses brought in uh, and increasing tax revenue through the legitimate ends of an economic plan that is sound, like a rising tide raises all ships, meaning if individuals keep more of their money through less taxes, businesses have more of their money through less red tape and taxes to hire more people, create better goods and services. Everybody has more money. They spend it, more sales tax. A rising tide raises all ships. If they can see that walked out and working and they see a state, a state rep who is out there pushing a broom, feeding the hungry, going to the meetings, jumping in, giving of his time and, and empowering others. When leadership says that my job is to make it all about me, it's a dying system. When leadership says my first and foremost job is to raise up and send out, raise up and send out. That has a way of, of taking care of itself. Yes. And so my, my theory is I don't have my first, my first shield, my first line of concern has nothing to do with Montgomery and has everything to do with the people of my district. So when you say feed the hungry, you're not saying, well, let's take state tax dollars and feed the hungry. You're positing a biblical solution that says, Charity doesn't belong in the state. It belongs in the church and the people, correct? 100%. Now, that, now, does that mean that we don't, we have to jump in where things are, like, for example, if you've already got, I ran as a Republican, if you've got Democrats leading soup lines and, 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 and handing out Thanksgiving turkey dinner plates, and that's funded by, funded by government resources, uh, taxpayer resources, and nobody else in the county is doing anything, I will, at the drop of a hat, I will get in that line and help serve that food. Well, at the same time, I will also begin to instigate the creation of conservative, locally-based supplies. Because why did those things pop up in the first place? They popped up because there wasn't local-based supplies going on. So number number one, you got to meet people where they are. Again, remember, reformation, not revolution. But then you turn the nose of the ship in the right direction. And say, okay, I'm going to I'm going to prove to you that I love you and I'm going to jump in with you where you're at and help you. But then I'm also going to I'm going to spin up these conservative ideas and give them feet through local churches, through local people, through local dollars to show that when we as a community get behind this idea and work together with local resources, how much better it can even be. It's a both-and situation where we're moving and working the direction away from government dollars towards local solutions. We know that in all levels of civil government, there are huge bureaucracies. Every time somebody identifies a legitimate problem, then there's this new committee or this new division or whatever. Since so many people are invested in their own livelihoods being part of this bureaucracy, do you find it difficult to convince people who are basically being fed by it that it shouldn't exist under a biblical framework? So obviously, uh, it is a very unusual person who will vote themselves out of a paycheck. (laughs) Right. So that being the case, this is where... 
you have to give them a, it's going to take some time and it's going to, you have to, and you have to give viable alternatives. So for example, Margaret Thatcher, England, post-World War II, what did she do? She privatized industries, which meant quality went up, costs went down, government got out of the way, jobs were created. So what we need to, what we need to be able to do is have a healthy free market focus on a job-friendly, business-starting-friendly atmosphere. That's one thing. So that the number, we also need to return the power of the dollars back to the families and to the children. So, for example, education. Let the money follow the child. So you have to start the processes moving that then allow the forces of the free market to do what they always do when untampered with by government bureaucracy and tyranny. And that free market will allow those things to operate in a free market way that will create genuine and robust free market opportunities. That, that's where, again, the solution's not quick, but I'm, I'm over here arguing for a 50-year plan. Yes. What's obvious to me, you know, Ernie, is that you didn't say, oh, wow, I won. Now what, I'm go- what, now what am I going to do? You already <laughs> knew what you were going to do. And you promoted what you were going to do. And by God's grace, it resonated with the people in your district. And now they get to see, hmm, let's see how um, committed he was to what he said. And I think that's what you're saying is the way forward, that people's hearts change towards these biblical ideas. And by God's grace, the Holy Spirit enters their life. And then you see transformation in the community, mm. it is never going to come about as a result of an election. That's right. No, what what an, what an election gives us is the opportunity to declare from the rooftops, there's a better way. There's a better way. You know, I feel like for so long, the conservative talking points have been just that. They've been talking points. What made men like Thomas Chalmers so unique and powerful and influential was because he believed and walked out. You show me a people going pastor and I will show you a church going people. We as believers who espouse to the conservative principles, but underneath that, the biblical principles have got to craft ministry plans for jumping in to the existing structures and ministries of our communities and walking them towards freedom in Christ in their hearts, in their minds, and in the everyday institutions that are there because the framework of freedom is still there, right? Our school boards still get to pick the curriculum. So the framework is there. We just got to show them the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, interposition, step in, moral courage, demand from the higher ups that you will honor your oaths of office and we will not stand for it. But behind that, we're going to walk this out. We're going to jump in and we're going to get to work. You know, when a young man is in love with a, a woman and he marries her, nobody has to tell him to open the door for her. Nobody has to tell him to make sure and get his kisses in for the day. You know, <laughs> he is going, he's going to make sure that those things are all checked off. Why? Because he loves his bride. She is the apple of his eye. And we've got to ask God for repentance and to gain again that view of our community. Look, God loved us. Why, why, did, why did Moses say? He said, look, God didn't choose you because you were greater in number. God didn't choose you because you were the best of the best. You were the GQ magazine of the Middle East. <laughs> no, he chose you because he loved you because he loved you. And we need to repent of our apathy and our ivory towerism in the way that we have treated our communities. And we need to beg God for a gospel love for our communities yes. and roll up our sleeves and get to work. You know, Dr. Rush Juni, who I know your dad has been quite the reader of his works and no doubt you as well, talked about you could spend all your time pulling weeds and then what you have is a weedless plot of land but along with pulling weeds you have to plant and i gotta tell you ernie 
um, hearing of what your father has done in your community for the last couple of decades tells me that he really did prepare the ground for you, his son. You know, people already had a high opinion of his actions more than just his words. And I think that's what people, especially homeschooling families, need to hang on to, that what we do today may not look like much tomorrow, but in the future, I mean, you said you were homeschooled in the 80s. Well, I started homeschooling my kids in the 80s. And when when you see what happens when they become adults and they hang on to the principles that were instilled in them, then you realize that God's plan is a generational plan, but he wants it to be a solid plan. He doesn't want it to be something that springs up, but then without root can't continue. That's right. That's right. Amen. And we got to recognize that we need to be training our young people in, in the gospel, in prayer meetings, in the full orb application of the word of God to society and get them involved. Right. Don't stay back on the sidelines. Let them go to debate clubs. Let them go to public service events. Let them be out there. Because when you have a young person that the conviction and the character and the firm handshake and the, you know, I get all those compliments about my kids all the time. Firm handshake on that young man. Or he said, yes, sir. He opened the door. Let them go out there and be involved. Don't, don't discount the effect of the operations of young people with character in your family and the community because you're setting a platform you're setting a stage for something far greater and when also in parents when parents who are who don't don't discount the fact that there are many parents who are wrestling right now with do i continue with public school do i go to private school can we homeschool like what do we do i see this i don't want my kids being taught boys or girls and girls or boys what do i do well go out there and in compassion let them know that you exist and be in places of leadership, be in places of involvement. Go, do, be, because God will use that to give you a platform to say, brothers and sisters of the community, follow me as I follow the Lord. Follow me and God's blessing will be upon us. Very good. I do have one last question, which I think for a lot of people in a lot of locales, they might be interested in your answer. So, I mentioned elections just happened. Various levels, there were tremendous gains, like an Ernie Yarbrough gets elected to his local um, district uh, Congress position, and it's true throughout the country. But in a lot of places, the candidate that people were hoping for to win didn't win. What do you think is the role of people who share our world and life view to go and speak to those people who didn't, but who hold office. How would, like, for example, um, a mayor gets elected. He's made his case for the fact that women's health care is important. And he's going to say, don't worry, I'm pro-choice. What does the believer do in terms of what do you think a believer should do in terms of interacting with that official? Well, number one, that official needs to be called to reckon with God's righteousness. A lot of times you'll find people who hold passionately to things like abortion in places of leadership, and they're hardened in those things. The issue is not more data. The issue is not they need they need to watch this movie called The Silent Scream, or they need to know. Sometimes God uses that. But a lot of times the reality is, is that person is in rebellion to God because they are strangers to grace and to God, and they need to be saved. And so... We need to confront them with the claims of the gospel. We need to confront them with the claims of God's righteous standards uh, because they're only going to change when their hearts are converted. But the meat of our focus needs to be we have failed to reach our communities who voted to put that person into office. We have got to develop a plan to reach our communities through loving service, through mercy ministry, and through the proclamation and the walking out of a biblical worldview. So that would be my challenge is, hey, look, we still have the blessing of rep- we have election fraud. Yes, I believe that. But we still have the opportunity of winning the hearts and minds of the people. But that's going to take hard work and a, a game plan. Are we doing that? Or are we just sitting back in our ivory tower, going to church on Sunday, 
and, you know, complaining and moaning about the condition of the world. Exactly. Well, Ernie, I'm I'm so gratified, you know, way back when you were running in your primary, because we are affiliated on Facebook, there was the opportunity to donate to your campaign. And I'm like, Alabama is not very close to California. However, it was so encouraging that there were people to hold the torch. And I'm glad that you'll be able to bless the people of Alabama. And I hope that those who listen to this will get a framework for how they might influence their community, even if it's just their neighborhood, so that everybody in their neighborhood knows who they are and knows that, you know, if you need something or you need some help or you're struggling with something or just, you know, you just need someone to talk to that we're here. And then those neighborhoods can grow into districts and counties and that we we must not despise the day of small things. Amen. And don't despise the fact, don't forget that when you get flame torchbearers of freedom and say the Alabama State House, we can network with other State House representatives and create freedom coalitions and do like, you know, Trump is by no means a perfect man, but he understands the power of going on tour, <laughs> as it were, reach, reaching the common people, right? Go where they are, speak to them coalitions of freedom and when you do that it gives you power and it gives you wisdom to be able to address and to give encouragement and principled action and plans and pursuits battle plans to empower the people to get to work very good ernie if somebody wants to do just that and connect with you to see how whatever they're working on might be of the same ilk that you're doing, how would they reach you? Best way is to go to my website, ErnieYarbrough.com, which is E-R-N-I-E-Y-A-R-B-R-O-U-G-H.com. And there's a contact form on there. Uh, and my email is house at Gmail. So that's Y-A-R-B-R-O-U-G-H and then the number four and then house at Gmail. And that's the best way to get a hold of me. And uh, I am always on the lookout for opportunities to network and to form coalitions uh, to advance God's kingdom, freedom, and mercy and justice. So I would love to be of any help that I can. Very good. Thanks, Ernie. This has been fun and informative. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. You're welcome. Listeners, as always, if you want to reach me, you can contact me through out of the question podcast at gmail.com. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.